0: You don't try to build a wall you don't start there you say i'm going to lay this brick as perfectly as a brick can be laid you do that every single day and soon you have a wall Good afternoon. You are listening to the On Point podcast. I am Mr. Umba and I am so pleased to have my next guest on the pod today. I've got Catherine Morgan, who is a former deputy head teacher and Matt director of professional learning and development, has previously worked at Ambitious Institute as associate dean for learning design, is currently the head of leadership content at the Teacher Development Trust, and has recently been appointed as the new capacity improvement advisor for the Teacher School Hub Council. She's also a fierce conversations coach and a huge Hamilton fan and so I'm so pleased to have you on the show Catherine. how are you? I'm really
1: well thanks Christian I'm so pleased that you managed to get the Hamilton reference in there all of that that's the most important yeah really delighted to be with you thank you so much for asking
0: me come on. It's a bit of a crazy time for you at the moment right because you're kind of in between two dream roles is that correct?
1: Yeah, so um, started off in, in primary teaching, as you said, and uh, middle leader, senior leader, went into then uh, a trust role. I was really interested in uh, teacher education, leadership education, and how I could start to really develop a greater understanding about instructional design. So currently at Teach Teacher Development Trust and in the middle of the new MPQ suite, which is going to kick off on the 1st of November. Really exciting time. the sector but yes that means lots and lots of work lots of design lots of uh, preparation but an incredibly exciting time and then soon to join the teaching school hub council where i'll be working with the 87 teaching school hubs to support them with the mobilization of the mpq suite so really exciting
0: amazing so i really wanted to pick your brains about the whole idea of teacher agency and I think that for me, one of the things that I love seeing what you tweet on Twitter and the various re- documents you reference and the learning that you kind of, is always focused around trying to help teachers to to be empowered. And that's a really big thing that I want the On Point podcast to be about is how to help teachers be on point. And that idea comes from the idea of, of ballet, that it takes many years for kind of ballet dancers to be um, able to do that move on point. It, take, it doesn't come overnight. And, and I really love some of the things that I've seen you share and the things that we've discussed, just the idea of kind of empowering teachers. And so if I was to use the term teacher agency, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, first of all, what a fantastic name to give the podcast. And I think, uh, yeah, the reference to ballets are particularly salient because of just how much they practice. And I think we as a profession are starting to really understand the importance of deliberate practice where other domains, uh, such as Ballet have been really making that their focus of developing equity for so for so long. It's really exciting uh, that we're having a, a brand new podcast looking at, at agency and what role that plays in the process. Um, so to your question then, what does teacher agency mean to me? I think it's really important that we recognise that whilst there are lots of external factors that affect the things that, Uh, the choices that school leaders make in school and how they then filter down and affect teachers in the classroom. Ultimately, uh, as teachers, we do have a a considerable amount of control over the way that we approach our practice. And yes, you know, we know that there are lots of other factors that influence uh, our our work day in, day out. Um, And we know that we've got a set of professional standards, the teacher standards, you know, coding, conduct and, and, and all things that we have to follow. But ultimately, I think teacher agency is that moral imperative, that passion, that determination to be able to take control of your pedagogy and practice and instill a love of learning um, in the students that you teach. And I think that if we remove some of the straight jacketness, of uh, performance management, I'm not a fan of that word, and really get to the nitty-gritty of what we mean by teaching. I think there is so much potential in the hands of teachers, and sometimes I think that discourse gets so caught up in the things that perhaps we don't have control of, that we then underestimate all of the things that we do. Mm. Um, and I appreciate that you know there'll be lots of listeners thinking, oh yeah, okay, that, that all sounds great, but the reality is that actually I have to do certain things in a certain way, but I would hope that the sector is really now coming coming around to the fact that um, teachers are the experts, they're the specialists, and I think the tides are shifting, you know, the the tides, the sands are shifting, I should say, the tides are moving, um, and we are placing a greater emphasis on teacher expertise, um, and I think there could be More opportunity for teacher agency and for people to really have much more say in terms of the way that they approach their practice in the classroom because they feel valued and respected as a specialist.
0: I think that's such a salient point because I saw a quote that was um, in a report from Bera from 2015 and they said, schools are complex social organisations set within even more complex social systems and they can seriously limit teacher agency even where the teachers concerned are experienced high capacity individuals and I thought it was such a, a astute observation at that even though teachers are as they describe high capacity individuals that sometimes the constraints that we work in can sometimes limit the impact we could have do you think that as you've said, like, you know, the tides are are kind of turning and, and, and the sands are shifting. Why do you think that teacher agency is so important in this moment right now?
1: Well, I think that for far too long, we've all been subjected to really poor practice because uh, people have had the very best of intentions, but we have in our initial teacher education in the schools that we've worked in, ended up um, falling into the traps of practice that actually does not really make much of a difference to student outcomes. But because other people are doing it, because of offsetting frameworks, inspections, what the school down the road is doing, we've really sort of magpied ideas that potentially have done more harm than good, even though the intentions were, you know, to try and do the best job that we possibly can. And I feel like teacher agency now is an opportunity for us to say, no, do you know what? Actually, um, I'm not going to jump through those hoops um, just because the school down the road is doing them. Um, I'm really going to uh, develop my subject knowledge, develop my pedagogy, really feel that I have that time and space to develop the craft of teaching so that I can make those types of decisions that are really informed, that are grounded in evidence, but let's also not underestimate the importance of experience. And mm. I think the teacher agency is an opportunity for the sector to find its voice, to be able to uh, take more control over the things that we feel um, are going to influence student outcomes rather than just jumping through hoops. And I think for too long, the sector has been subject to fads, subject to uh, perceived silver bullets, but if we can create a sector that is driven by teacher agency, where we're able to uh, really learn with and from each other and, and value experience as much as we're valuing evidence-informed practice, because we know that evidence-informed practice is incredibly important to avoid, to mitigate against those silver bullets, the fads, etc., the hearsay, mm. folklore. But actually, we also need to, uh, that needs to be in tandem with hearing insights from uh from classrooms, from teachers doing the doing and I think that that's the major shift here that actually we've had now a good couple of years where everybody's moved towards much more evidence-informed practice, we've got the EEF that's supporting with that, we've got research ed, lots of other grassroots movements. The Ofsted framework has changed considerably, but what we now need to do is to make sure that that there there is a symbiosis with with the evidence informed practice and classroom practice. So, actually, what does that look like in reality? So, I've got mm. research; uh, it suggests it's a good bet, but actually, what does that look like on a Friday afternoon with Year Nine when it's raining? because we know that it's going to look very different in different classrooms and at different times. And this is where I think agency comes in, because we should be giving the opportunities to to learn and to hear from people who are doing the doing as much as possible, because you're right to reference that piece of research for far too long. We have undervalued um, the expertise of teachers, and actually it's an incredibly a skilled profession that requires lots and lots of domain specific knowledge yes mm. different types of knowledge um and we need to now make sure that people feel that this is a profession that's well respected and that starts with people's voices
0: Woo! <laughs> you are preaching good Catherine like you it's so spot on everything you were saying that I just so agree with the idea that you know, there is a reprofessionalization that's yeah. taken place where where teachers are being given the kind of the kudos that they deserve as, as experts. You know, I remember reading an article that made parallels between teaching and medicine and the idea that doctors are expected to continually be abreast of new research and making sure that they're fully aware of what's going on, but that they still have the agency to some extent to ensure that that research is applied in their context. Yeah, and that context matters.
1: Absolutely, and that they have been—they've always been given the trust to be able to use their agency to make decisions and choices that are going to be the best for their patients. And yet, we haven't necessarily taken the same approach with teachers um, and support staff, teaching assistants, and, and even mm. school leadership development. Um, I think that we have, for far too long straight jacketed people into uh, all doing similar type things because it's always been done that way and that phrase is actually really damaging of what we done it that way Um, and I think that uh, perhaps there's sometimes a bit of a misunderstanding about evidence-informed practice because there is absolutely no way that I believe that you know evidence-informed practice is is the panacea because that has to be um, tempered with uh, hearing insights from people doing the doing in the classroom. Mm. I'm really aware Christian, that I haven't actually taught now for um, I think it's just under three years, and that's crazy. So I absolutely see the need and really value talking to as many teachers as I can. And I've got the time and opportunity at the moment to engage with lots of research. But that's just the starting point for a conversation. Um, I think that. We have to create the types of conditions and the opportunities for teachers to feel like their voice isn't just being heard but it's actually being used to inform the things that are happening in their school, uh, perhaps their locality, uh, you know, hell, even across the the whole of England because um, it's really important that we aren't just creating policy and creating frameworks. Uh, separate from the reality of mm. life in school, which,
0: as you said, is, is really complex. Yeah, I mean, you touched on my next question, which is, can teachers develop agency or is it something that must be given? Because it's good and well for us to say that teachers need to have greater agency. But is that something that someone can just take? Can they take greater power in terms of being able to facilitate what's best for the young per- young people or is that something that needs to work in tandem with the structures that they you know they they sit within
1: oh that's a, yeah it's a really great question and I think um when you asked me that I straight away thought about um Amy Edmondson's psychological safety and how important it is to be working within a culture and environment where you feel that you are able to um to share your opinions, to talk about the things that matter, to talk about misconceptions without fear of judgment or, um, you know, high stakes mm. accountability. Mm. So I think you're really wise to make the link there between um, the culture um, and the environment. And I suppose that then aligns really well with Kraft and Pape's research around um, supportive environments that are most conducive then to, you uh, you know teachers improving in their practice mm. um, so i I think that we all have that innate uh i think agency is something that we all can can grasp, but I think over time we become so entrenched in systems and processes. That we slowly but surely lose our voice, or our voice becomes quieter,
2: mm. of
1: often case accountability and judgment and fear of the repercussions of um, sharing or you know giving the feedback that might be more challenging to your senior leadership team. So I do think there is that relationship between having to be given agency, but it does link to that culture then of um, how do we encourage people. To give the type of feedback that, whilst we might not necessarily always enjoy hearing it, it's that uh, you know candid feedback that will help us to keep improving and keep getting better. Mm. Um, I think that's the real key thing. So I think agency is absolutely born from the type of culture where people feel confident that their voice can be heard and they're not then going to be in trouble for it. I think. Mm like to give the you know the illusion that we welcome feedback um, and nine times out of ten when people give it then you know relationships can be damaged and um, it can be a slightly awkward atmosphere and people then are very reluctant to give that feedback um, again and I think it's something that takes lots of time and it absolutely has to be modelled by school leaders and um, you know I think leadership is absolutely fundamental to teachers feeling that they are agents of of change agents of their own practice um so how do we then create the type of leadership development where leaders recognize that that's incredibly important and i think probably one of the reasons why we don't always end up with those types of school environments is because there's probably a fear of a lack of control and, oh, my gosh, what will they all do if we don't give them really clear parameters to work within? And obviously, mm. parameters are really important. But, um, you know, I think that uh, there is a danger of being too prescriptive and removing mm. that sense of agency because of control and fear of what might happen if we remove um, if we remove those parameters. So it comes down to trust as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think, again, spot on, because I think that I'm very... I'm very blessed to work in a school where we have a really good culture. And I think that if a colleague saw something that they they felt wasn't working or they felt needed to work in a different way, there was a sense that the teachers do have agency to be able to speak to the leaders that they work with to say, this is what I think would be better for the young people that we serve, always driven by that moral purpose about what's best for the young people in front of us. And so I'm very interested in your work as as a fierce, conversations coach where what what part does that play in creating a culture where there is that trust where actually you can have a uh, a a strong professional dialogue that isn't necessarily it's not necessarily about emotion it's not necessarily about um um you know having a dislike some we we're, we're disagreeing about the issue how how does how, what part does does a fierce conversation in fact what is a fierce conversation and what what place does it play in schools
1: Well, so I'm really interested in conversations and you're right, I was fortunate to do uh, some fierce conversations training where I got my coaching accreditation with them Um, and that was because of the work that I was doing with my head teacher at the time when I was a deputy head Um, and we were essentially recalibrating school culture from the ground up. The school had been um, consistently failing Uh, The staff, the staff in the first instance, and the reason why I start with the staff is because if we don't value and look after the staff in the school then actually what chance have we got to provide the type of education where students really flourish. Um, So we knew that we had to recalibrate the culture. We wanted to do it um, by reinvesting in teacher development, leadership development. And we decided that in a culture that you, you know, you're aware is broken because there's Conversations, there are conversations that take place behind closed doors. Mm. In an open forum, you know that you have to start with communication and conversation. And fierce Conversations um, is a, a, a framework from Susan Scott, um, and it's informed by years and years of work um, that Susan's done with a range of different organizations. Um, has recognised that actually it's often the conversations that we don't have that cause the most damage, and I think that's so true of schools. It's the conversations that take place in classrooms behind closed doors. Um, it's the conversations we have in the car park, by the photocopier, by WhatsApp, where we're talking about things that are happening in school, but we're not close to the people that actually have the, the power or the ability to do something about it. And so Fierce Conversations is a framework which really encourages us to see every conversation as an opportunity to build and develop relationships and to create the types of environments where people can be candid with one another. So mm. don't think that, um, like anything, Fierce conversations, Fierce conversations is the panacea of conversations. I think Radical Candor by Kim Scott is also something I would want to uh, bring into conversation training, but ultimately what both of those books, what both of the frameworks within those books do is it rec- it recognises that actually the conversations that we have day in, day out are always opportunity to build relationships and to build a type of trust where we can tackle the tough work of school improvement. And mm. school improvement is really tough because we're talking about um, people's practice. We know that teachers work incredibly hard. I have always uh, believed that nobody goes to school to do a bad job, and whilst we might get ourselves in situations where we feel, you know, lacklustre or disheartened, and therefore, you know, there might be opportunities where perhaps we don't always do everything to the best of our ability. That's often because of the environment that we're working in. I truly believe that teachers, uh, you know, go into teaching because they want to make a difference to students. Um, and I think that conversation is the absolute key driver of uh, teacher agency and also school improvement. So fierce conversations enables us to really tackle the tough stuff but in a way that doesn't damage relationships. And so there are uh, different frame, different principles, there's seven principles, three objectives. I won't go through them all now because there's a lot to remember, but essentially there are tools to be able to have um challenging conversations team conversations coaching conversations and delegation conversations because delegation interestingly is is also uh, a conversation that can often uh, cause a lot of um, upset and in fact it really aligns well to teacher agency
2: because
1: mm. far too often is seen as a way of just distributing your work code onto someone else and that can actually be really disempowering Whereas in a fierce conversation, when you're looking at the delegation model, it's a way of distributing mm. expertise, distributing resources, distributing opportunities and experiences. So It becomes a really empowering conversation about agency. So it's less about can you do X, Y and Z because I'm going to get these off my to do list than actually looking at your team and really seeing uh, you know, where are the opportunities to be able to develop and grow people so it's a, really, it's a really powerful model that's built around this metaphor of a tree. And we look at root decisions, um, we look at trunk branch decisions, uh, leaf decisions and, and the different ways in which you can um, distribute um, expertise uh, across your team. And it is really, really empowering. So I do really think in answer to your question, there's um, much opportunity to utilise some of these conversational tools. And see them as a way of creating uh, the type of culture where it's rich in talk and rich in dialogue, um, and not just the sort of uh, the relationship-building dialogue, which is often quite informal about you know our per- um, person things that are more personal, so that we can get to know mm. one another. It's also about the conversation that's grounded in each other's practice, so that I don't, I won't feel anxious or nervous about saying, Christian, do you know what I'm really struggling with this. Is there any chance that you could just come and watch the first 10, 10 minutes of my lesson um, consistently over this half term and we'll do some um, work together to you know to provide some feedback for me so that I can start to improve um, yeah I think I think that it's it's a, a key tool that is, is often underutilized.
0: Amazing. And I think, like you say, their frameworks, and, and again, it comes down to context, it's going to, um, I think, as you mentioned earlier on, with any piece of research, of any framework, of any tool, it's really about ensuring that the context is right for that particular tool to work and flourish. And, and, and I wouldn't want anyone to just necessarily say, we're going to get the book, we're going to do this tomorrow, but it definitely seems like a really powerful vehicle to ensure that the conversations around what takes place within a team, within a classroom, within a school, is driven by supporting teacher teacher agency and and giving them um, the ability to make decisions that ultimately influence the outcomes for our young people. And I think that we're never really taught how to have proper conversations, really. You know, you really really learn a lot of that, I think from your family home, I guess, and everyone's got their own dynamic, everyone's got their own situation. So if you bring that into the workplace, there can sometimes, you know, you might actually think that having quite a confrontational or challenging conversation is quite rude from a cultural point of view and actually being able to give people the tools to be able to communicate effectively must be a key driver in not only giving uh, teachers greater agency but also helping teachers to feel empowered that they have the ability to be able to communicate and so what would be one thing that you think is a teacher could take away today and employ that would help them feel a greater sense of of agency, that they feel more in control, they feel a greater sense of um, empowerment to be able to do what it is that they need to do. Given that teaching is a very complex job, which which has very domain specific skills, and there's a whole host of things you have to do to be a teacher, what would be one thing that you think someone could take away today and say, okay, I can employ this in my practice, I can use this to help me grow in my pedagogy?
1: Yes yeah, so that's a really good question and um, I think that the key thing is uh, giving yourself the time and space to consider your practice and your needs. So teaching is incredibly busy, uh, it's really pressurised and nine times out of ten we don't have the opportunity to really sit and reflect on our practice not because someone else is asking us to but because we're actually really genuinely interested in how we can keep improving and keep getting better so if you are a secondary teacher in a specific subject area really thinking about your own subject knowledge your subject discipline and the way that you might teach it with particular students in your classroom perhaps and in primary obviously you primarily have to cover the, the whole range of curriculum subjects. It can be a little bit more challenging when you're looking specifically at subject knowledge. But nevertheless, find a particular aspect or an area that you feel, I really want to start to develop this because I think that I could be better. I think I could grow it even more. And I think that's a really good starting point for um, developing the sense of agency and then thinking about who in your school you can then go and have a conversation with about some of your professional development Uh, options and choices that are available to you because I know um, when we talk about agency, sometimes people might use it interchangeably with autonomy and I'm interested in both. So if we just think about autonomy for a moment, um, it's actually really difficult in a school environment for us to have that sense of teacher autonomy. Um, nine times out of ten we're actually really quite happy to be uh, instructed by the senior leadership team and Vivian Robinson talks about this where she explains that on the whole we actually really want to be instructed by school leadership because we feel that they have the expertise Um, to be able to make decisions and to make the choices about things that we just don't need to think about because we're you know the job of teaching is hard enough and there's a a lot of other things that we need to think about so it's nice to know that you are safe and protected by somebody else's expertise making decisions so that's fine. Um, In terms of the school day we don't necessarily have much autonomy over even when we can go to the toilet portion, <laughs> you know, to go at different breaks and you know we're driven by bells and different things that they don't have in other professions and, and on the whole we're okay with that because we went into teaching knowing that that was going to be the case however there are some things that we feel are we're less autonomous with and actually if we had a little bit more autonomy then that would help us to create that sense of agency and i think the distinction between the two is That actually, that sense of agency, you feel empowered to be able Mm. to start to make some choices and decisions about your specific practice. And you've been given permission, you've been given the responsibility to do that. And I think that's then the link between autonomy and agency. So, um, the NFER, in conjunction with the Teacher Development Trust, before I joined them, I think it was in 2018, 2019, I should know this, um, created uh, a really powerful piece of research around teacher autonomy. And actually, uh, within that research, they identified some key things that schools and leaders can do to give teachers more autonomy, and that one of the biggest things was around uh, CPD choices. Mm -hmm. So I think, in answer to your question, a very long-winded response is that if you really give yourself the time and space to consider the areas that you want to improve because of the students that you're teaching, because of the subject that you're teaching, and then really consider how you can then who you can go and talk to, how you will have the conversation, to just ask the question, is there opportunity for you to start to um, develop uh, in this particular area, what experiences, what opportunities might be on offer, then I think that enables you then, that, that initial conversation, your are the stepping stones into creating that sense of agency where you are able to make more decisions about the things that are going to affect your practice in the classroom. And I do believe, Christian, that sometimes we just don't ask because we mm. think that there are no options or that the answer might be no or that there's no budget. But I actually do think that more often than not, if we ask, we actually might be surprised with the response because school leaders are definitely not the bad guys or the you know, um they are also working incredibly hard in incredibly complex environments and I think that they would often welcome that feedback from teachers. Um, it's just that we haven't we haven't really taken that approach. It's tended to be whole school approaches to C P D and you know, that, that can sometimes be relevant, but it's not always relevant mm-hmm. and it's better spent in other places.
0: An amazing answer. So, I I mean, there's so much I want to talk to you about, but I'm conscious of time. So this is what I'm going to, I'm going to ask you one other question, which is thinking about all your experiences, both as a teacher, as a school leader, and then your work you're doing in school improvement and the, the profession as a whole. What would be one thing that you would you would offer as a piece of advice to somebody who is listening today and is like yeah I want to I want to be on point I want to I want to grow um in addition to what you've already said about being able to be a reflective practitioner is there one other thing that you you see commonly amongst great teachers great schools great leaders is there something that you see that you think yeah that's something that if we could bottle that and share that with with colleagues they would feel more on point, they would feel more empowered, if, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, so I think for me, it comes down to curiosity, and recognising that um, lots of the things we're talking about at the moment as a sector um, are really exciting and we're learning so much more from evidence and research to help us make uh, more informed decisions and choices about teaching instruction, curriculum, assessment, etc, etc. But that's just the start of the conversation and it is about getting really curious about your practice, about your students, about your school. And um, I think in terms of the work that I do at the Teacher Development Trust and the different teachers and school leaders that we've worked with and, and at the work I did, and with the work I did at Ambition, you can really tell um, the difference between teachers and leaders who feel curious and those who feel slightly browbeaten. And I do wonder if that is actually down to that sense of agency. Mm. And so I think that this conversation actually really does matter. And we sort of come full circle back to the importance of culture and school environment, supportive environments, because I think that there is absolutely the potential for all of us to be able to um, be agents of our own practice and to inquire about certain aspects of our practice that we feel we might need to improve. We've all got the ability to do that. And I, don't, I think we'd be hard pushed to find a leadership team that would say, no, I don't want you to be interested in making
2: this yeah.
1: But often it's the resource that we may or may not have. And resource can be um, external courses, or it could be time off, you know, timetable to be able to engage with research or to even just re-reflect, like I said previously, about your individual practice. But I think it all begins with that curiosity, that drive to want to be better, to want to keep improving. Um, because teaching quality is so variable and it isn't about just getting a whole load of brand new teachers and thinking all of our woes in education will be solved. We know that as a sector, we are absorbing so many difficulties that society are experiencing, and because lots of services have been disbanded, it's actually now fallen at the the school's door to be able to support some really uh, some communities that need a lot of TLC, that need a lot of compassion, that need a lot of uh, nurturing, and so. We're absolutely going to have to continually think about how we can improve teaching instruction, teaching practice, curriculum design, curriculum implementation, because the needs of our students are constantly evolving. Mm. Uh, because the communities that we're serving are experiencing many different circumstances uh, in comparison to when I went to school, and I'm 37. So we're not talking about you know like lots and lots of time here, but nevertheless needs have evolved and even techno- technology has impacted um, society and, and I think we absorb so much of that at as, a as, as school so we always have to be curious as to how we can keep improving um, and recognise that actually uh, it, it, it's not a destination. It's Its expertise continually fluctuates and is affected by so many mitigating circumstances but it's that uh, determination to be curious and inquisitive and to want to keep improving
0: and what an amazing answer Catherine it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and I'm so glad will you come on again onto the On Point podcast because I just there's so much I could talk to you about
1: yeah no I would love to and just to sort of Give a little bit more tangible um, support to any listeners, listeners Christian. I absolutely cannot recommend Radical Candour any more than than I do. But also thanks for the feedback, because I think often we talk about the importance of having conversations and what we say, but we don't necessarily then support um, teachers and leaders to develop how they receive that feedback and what they do with it next. Um so, yeah, that, that's definitely two books, Radical Candour, and thanks for the feedback that I would really encourage listeners to engage with, because I think that they help us to create the types of tools in our toolkit that then enable us to have those conversations that support our sense of agency. And um, so, yeah, they're really good.
0: What a great conversation. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the On Point podcast. I hope you have a good day. Take care. We'll speak to you soon. Bye bye. You don't try to build a wall you don't start there you say i'm gonna lay this brick as perfectly as a brick can be laid you do that every single day and soon you have a wall